Too solid of a start. <laughs> what week is this? Is this week 12? I want to say 10. Well, we had one that we didn't record the first. So does that make it 11 then? Yeah, that could be the case. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah I forgot about that one. What's up, Brett? Top of the morning. Oh, oh. You, sound, you sound like you're underwater. Oh, shit. Hey, this is a kid's podcast. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Perfect. All right, gentlemen. Um, yeah, so you guys want to kick it off with the advice question of, like, putting ourselves in, you know, different parts of our life. So, you know, maybe, maybe Brad, if you want to start, do you have anything that, in terms of advice that you'd give, like, your 25-year-old self? Um that we can kind of jump around with that type of topic. Yeah. Uh, 25. So that was a decade ago for me. Um, so I would say, I don't know. I, I would probably be a little like more compassionate to myself. I think self-compassion is a big one. Um, being hard on yourself doesn't, doesn't usually yield too many, uh, good long-term outcomes <laughs> might, might help you hit, hit short-term goals, but like just that's, that's one thing I would definitely be. You felt to. like you, you felt like you were just like, so after a certain goal that you're emo- like emotionally and just like da- not damaging yourself, but like in a way doing that. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think just kind of taking the long view, you know, just saying that like, it's not, a, it's not a race, you know, I think that's really a big, a big takeaway for me is like, you got to sustain your energy and like build foundation, you know, foundational, you know, pieces to kind of sustain your energy, sustain your motivation. And also just like, know that, like I said before, so much of it is, is out of your control. You got to really kind of like let go of some of the pieces that are out of your control and just kind of focus on what's in your control. And most of that, I think is just like the kind of mental strength training, you know, really, really spending more time kind of on the mental um, and just building habits, you know, that again, don't go crazy, um, <laughs> but establish some habits that are, that are healthy and like kind of self-sustaining. So I would say those are, those are big ones. Um, and, and uh, out, out of curiosity, would you say there was more changes, and it could be equal amount, but uh, like from 25 to 30 or, you know, you're, I believe you said you turned 35 or around there. So, yeah. tw- or 25 or 30 to 35, do you feel like there was a noticeable difference between like life changes or, or was it about equal between those two? Um. Honestly, I feel like I've had the most, uh, I would say, emotional growth um, in the past five years. So I'm about to turn 36, but I would say the past five years, um, and it also coincides with having kids. You know, kids definitely have, you know, made me wake up to things about myself that, like, have have made me put, put practices into place to be, I, I think, to have the self-compassion. Um 
And I'm, so I'm reading a book now. It's called uh, Falling Upward. And it's about like the two halves of life. And I think the first half of life is kind of, uh, the, the whole concept is just like the first half of life is kind of building a container. And then the second half of life is filling that container with contents. So whatever those contents may be. Um, but, but most of our life in, in Western culture is building the container. So like security, money, reputation, like all the things that like we um, tend to set goals around. And most people never reach second, the second half of life. And it's not like an actual like time period, like we're like, oh, at 45, you're going to like enter the second, uh, second half of your life. It, it's more like a mindset. So I think the, for me, the, I've, I've had glimpses of like the second half of life the past five years because I've started to see what's, what's important. And that's more like the contents within the container than the, than the container itself. Yeah. What are some examples of, of the, of the contents? So I see, I hear, so the container is, yeah, is money security kind of foundational things. Like what is, what would be some content pieces? Um, I think definitely the, the, the faith piece. So like, you know, be more like spiritually centered, um, more relationships, um, less about, you know, stuff, you know, things, but more about like experiences. Um, and also more about like leaning into like who you actually are. So instead of it, like being the container, which is like this kind of like, you know, exterior, it's more kind of like doing more like the, the interior work and being more who you are, um, than who you want people to believe you are. So there's, there's a lot of leaning into kind of like your, your own self-knowledge and, and your own, your own truth, uh, than it is about what the outside world wants you to be or do. Yeah. It's not a great, great visual. I like that a lot. Yeah. And I just started it, but I, I felt like that was a helpful way to think about it. But most of us, and like, uh, the author brings up like this example of just like a 70 year old guy who's just still talking about like, you know, the college that he went to and the business deals he's closing and all this other stuff, but he's, he's still talking as if he's kind of in the first half of life. It's like, dude, you're like, <laughs> you're 70. Like you should be talking more about kind of like bigger things than, than that. It's, it's, and he said that that's like the, the greatest tragedy of meeting someone who's kind of like, you know, further along in their years, but they never seem to kind of cross the threshold into like being more of, you know, who they are, um, than kind of what they think other people care about. Yeah. I read in a book that a guy was like on his deathbed and he said, I, I wish I, you know, got more friends than I did houses. And like, it kind of, kind of sh- describes how, you know, when you're 80, 90 years old, you know, all those transactions kind of become meaningless and it's the people around you um, in your, in your closing moments that I think is more important, but again, it's a balance there. And that's why I like, I like that a lot where it's kind of two phases where like you're kind of putting in that heavy lifting to kind of produce, get that foundation piece. And then it's, it's really trying to 
And I feel like getting into phase two, the, the quicker, the better, it seems like. Yeah, I think so. I, and that's, and that's the thing. They, they aren't separate. Like they are, they definitely are, you know, the two halves, you know, they, they, they make the whole, but, um, you know, what's made me, you know, curious, just what, I guess, what am I forgetting from my 25 year old self that I forgot to like kind of take with me? Cause I think we often just kind of like moment to moment live. And like, I, I feel like my memory, aside from like going back to like maybe some old journals, hard to reflect on kind of like who I was and what I was doing at 25 and like what I might, what lessons I may have learned then that I haven't, um, that I haven't really been living out now. Cause it's, it's easy to say, it's like, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm better now than I was when I was, you know, 10 years younger, but there were some like really, I think hard won lessons that I had, uh, but I can't really recall what they were. And it's definitely helpful to remind myself of what, kind of what was going on in my, in my life at that time. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see too, like how you can go back and you can kind of find a lesson that you learned at 25, but then you're still doing the same thing. So like you learn the lesson, but you still haven't applied it to your day-to-day life. Like I, for example, I say all the time, like, man, if I could go back to my first day of Florida, first day on campus, like, and have what I knew now, I would love to, you know, do more, be more social, go to more parties, practice harder, everything. And then like you bring it forward day to day. And it's just like, you could apply the same lesson today. Like I'd like to do more, 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 more. So sometimes the lessons, uh, like they carry forward, forward mentally, but not necessarily in reality. Yeah. How do you think about uh, risk, Brett? Like, if you were going back and even your 20-year-old self, you're telling your 20-year-old self, um, you know, I'm from the future. (laughs) This is what I've learned. This is what I want you to do. How do you think about, like, taking more or less risk, getting on a career path earlier or later? How do you think about all that? Yeah, I think the – the direction of like moving, moving toward being a generalist um, or a specialized generalist, uh, you know, as we talked about, I think just having that framework to, to work within would have been really helpful. I would have had, I think a lot, a lot more breathing room to just kind of think about whatever I'm, I'm dabbling in, like, it's okay. It's all going to kind of connect and come together, just kind of follow your interests and, and really understand your strengths to like kind of piece together a, a unique package it would have been helpful to hear that. Um, I think it would have been really helpful, uh, like I shared back a while ago, like thinking about um, kind of my personality and like who I am. So like thinking about uh, what's my core motivation, what's my core fear, um, which is based on the Enneagram. Just thinking about that would have been super helpful because just learning that now has like cleared up a lot for me um, about why I do things the way I do them. Uh, so I think just understanding my, my own psychology. Um, I think I could have had access to that, um, you know, in my early 20s. Like, I don't think 
I don't think my core motivation or core fear has changed. I think it's, it's pretty much the same, but it would have been helpful just to know that that's kind of within my operating system and to be able to kind of zoom out and be like, okay, in this situation, this is why you did that or didn't do that. And that's related to risk. Um, so the core motivation for me is really uh, having value or, or really having worth like to other people. And then the flip side of that is, you know, feeling worthless or not having value for other people. So it's very external focused. Um, so in film school, that's really helpful. You know, like you have to like really be kind of there to support on, on making a film. If you're in class, you're workshopping something, you, you have to be motivated by that. Um, a lot of people are, I mean, that's kind of like the core motivation of just being an American. Um, but the, it would have been helpful for me to know where I should have just like blended my, my true opinion instead of like going along for, you know, someone else's creative idea. I wish I had been a little more aggressive with, with my own ideas. So kind of like deferring a little bit, like you deferred too much. Yeah. Cause it's kind of like whatever it may especially if like the story direction of like a short film we were working on, I was like, Oh, I think maybe we should go in this direction. It was more like, Oh, well I'm going to be editing this thing. So I'm thinking more about like how, how are all these shots going to be working together than it was about like the actual story. So yeah, mm -hmm. it was like kind of play your role, know your role. And like, that's kind of just a natural part of working with people. But at the same time, like I wish I had taken more risks with like really making the story strong um especially if it wasn't my own and just kind of like lending my voice to another person be like hey would you mind if i give you some feedback on this i think it would be helpful if we did you know this with this character uh instead it was kind of just like nope it's theirs it's their creative thing but i feel like i had opportunities to do that and i didn't um and those were just like small things but for me that would be risking um that person rejecting me Right. If like I tell someone something and they don't like the feedback, then like my fear there is like, well, now I've just kind of like cut myself out of the tribe. Yeah. Hey, Mike, can you uh, turn off your air conditioner? And then, hey, and Brad, um, do you feel like if you went back to film school now with this, the tool belt, the skill set you have right now do you feel like you would get a lot more out of out of film school and you would probably do with more what you're saying going back to my thing about like learning lessons and then not actually applying them do you feel like with what you have now resource wise you would get more out of film school i think so um the other part of it is like in, in a way um I'm grateful for the experience I had because I think it it ultimately pointed me in a direction um, away from like a career in film. Like I, you know, that yeah. kind of like helped me to kind of make sense of, you know, other interests and, and other other things that I wanted to pursue. Um, but I think if I had if I had the mindset, I think it would have been different. And honestly, guys, like I probably would have. I probably would have left after my first year and probably gone to do something else. Cause I was, I was really getting, um, I was really getting frustrated by the fact that it was in such like an academic setting that I, I didn't feel like I was able to just like freely just 
be creative and just like pursue my own thing. And if I wish I had just, you know, had $10,000 to just go out and like do my own movie. Yeah. Like a Casey Neistat kind of deal. Yeah. It's interesting. I was going to say that it's like, it's almost like you had these lessons, but it it seems more like film school probably wasn't the fit rather than uh, needing to be a different person almost. Yeah. And I think that's where it's identifying fit that that's a big one. Like just really asking yourself the question constantly, like, is this, is this the right fit for me? Um, that's, that's something I'd wish I'd ask like early and often and just kind of iterate on top of that and just keep trying things out until, until I find a match. Yeah. I like this idea. Someone told me this once that you got what you needed out of it. So it's like, uh, when I was originally going to go to Burma, I was supposed to stay there three months and I stayed there three weeks instead. Cause it was like, it, it wasn't what I wanted it to be. And when I came home, I was like, yeah, I was supposed to stay longer, but uh, I only ended up staying three weeks. They're like, well, you got what you needed out of it and you got out of there and you didn't waste the time. I always thought that was like a good reference point because what I was going into Burma for wasn't what it was. So why stay there any longer? It's kind of like what I needed out of Burma, I got. I'm done with it now. Let's move on to the next thing. And then when I show up to that thing, it's going to be whatever you need out of it, you're going to get. Out of curiosity, going back to the previous point, have you guys given any any thought to like if there should be some changes in terms of a transition period from high school to college? I feel like there's a gap there. Like, I understand you can go kind of if you're going to go to college, you can like do your general education and and get some ideas. But have you guys given any thought to like? I feel like there should be an internship, apprenticeship, like something from like 18 to 20 or like you should have the option to kind of get into some real life stuff. Uh, Like, for example, for you, Brett, maybe you went and worked for a production company and they gave you a little tiny budget and you can go create, you know, something and then you can kind of figure out if that's a path you want to go down as opposed to committing to a school um, and, you know, whether you know for a lot of people putting down loans to to get it um i feel like there's definitely some opportunity that like there should be whether it's six months two years before you decide to go to college where you're actually getting some like real life experience do you guys feel like do you agree with that like there should be some opportunity there just because i feel like at 18 it's like how do you you haven't really tried much. You haven't really tasted a lot of things. Like where, where do you even go from there? It's hard to make a decision at 18 in my opinion. I would say the problem has to be adjusted even earlier on. Like if you had a better education in high school, middle school and whatever else, I think you'd be closer to a direction that you wanted to go down. But when you kind of learn nothing in high school and then now you have to make a decision about what you want to do with the rest of your life. It's pretty hard to do. Whereas if you were exposed to a lot of things in high school, like a 16 to an 18 year old is probably old enough to start experiencing some sort of career pass rather than taking like regents exams on whatever the hell we're taking them on and doing DBQs. <laughs> DBQs. <laughs> Document based question. 
here's some here's something that you don't care about. Write seventeen pages about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think. I mean, I, honestly, like, it, there's this weird, um, and again, this this isn't everyone in our society, you know, because whatever it is, what thirty to forty percent hold the bachelors. So, like, I'm thinking about. Is that it? Yeah. That's as. That's that. That's Jesus. at least what I heard from we... uh, Andrew Yang when he was running for president. It um, makes sense. I so, mean... I mean, the whole argument is like, well, if sixty to seventy percent aren't, uh, what are they doing? And like, what is, you know, if we're, if we're pushing college so hard, um, you know, the system definitely is is not set up for for everyone to have a bachelor's degree. That's that's at least how I see it. So, almost like reverse engineering um I, I think it is a helpful exercise to go through like when you're 16 17 to really think about like okay let me let me talk to some people who are in their late 20s let me talk to some people who are in like their early 30s and even beyond and just kind of like get a sense of like what what paths people took i mean for me it would be have, have been really helpful to know that like most career, careers are, are pretty much like winding paths. They're not very linear. You kind of just kind of zigzag. I mean, most people I talk to, that's kind of the story. And I, I've interviewed tons of people, you know, just for like jobs and just sitting on interviews. A lot of people have very, very weird backgrounds um, in terms of like the, the jobs they're applying for. And like, even just like reading job descriptions would would have been interesting to me to be like oh that's interesting they're asking for particular skills they're not necessarily looking for my degree so if like i look across most uh job descriptions like strong written and verbal communication like pretty much like top of a lot of job descriptions like you need that skill you're going to learn that skill in whatever degree you're, you're pursuing presumably if you're in college and it's like academically rigorous but um, I think thinking about the skills you need to acquire and how to get there, knowing that there's like a million different paths to, to get there. College is one of them, but you know, like you're saying, uh, Steve, just, just exposing yourself to other, um, opportunities, whether it be internship or apprenticeship. Um, for me, I would have just wanted just like a coach that I could talk to like once or twice, twice a month. That would have been a, like, a really helpful investment. Yeah. Yeah. Like you need to uh, redo the guidance department mm -hmm. at every high school and you need to add more people and you need to have more diverse backgrounds and you need to actually like, those need to be like monthly meetings. I think I met my guidance counselor like once for 10 minutes. Yeah. Same. Yeah. And not only that, like you said, skills, it's like if you're not in a technical job like a programmer or like a mathematician or something like this, pretty much every job is communication and you don't take one communication class in all of high school. No. Nope. But literally like every piece of high school, it should just be communication. Every job's communication job. Yeah. Yeah, the skill set, you almost certainly – like you almost always just learn it on the job like – you know the position I'm in. It's kind of like, like the intangibles I bring that are important, but the actual skill set in itself, like 
doesn't require like anything exceptional. It's, it's the other things that you, that you do. Unless you're building a rocket, it's communication. And even if you are building a rocket, you still need communication. And I think to that end, like, if you really unpack what, what is communication and like when you read a job description, what does that really mean? Um, and I think just you know, the other thing that's like at the top of the list is like, you know, you work well with others. You know, you, you have like most jobs are collaborative. You kind of have to work well with others. You know, part of it is code for like, you know, we don't, you know, don't be an asshole. Like if you hire an asshole, like, it's, it's just not going to work. Um, but how do you. <laughs> Kids program. Um, I think, you know, we might get some clicks. Don't be an asshole, of course. Um, but what is, <laughs> what's underneath that? I think it is like some basic understanding of like human psychology and some basic understanding of just like, just having emotional intelligence. I feel like emotional intelligence is severely lacking. I mean, you don't, I, I mean, I didn't really get much of that in, in school. Like I, 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 there's like socialization, I suppose, I guess in social situations, you, you learn how not to be an asshole, but like, there's a lot more beyond that. Like, how do you empathize with other people? How do you, uh, how do you communicate to different audiences? Uh, and also how do you have your own self-awareness? Yeah, I feel like that's a new skill though, too. Like I don't I don't feel like that people even called it that or it existed when we were younger. Obviously it's always been there. Yeah, you're right. It feels like uh because of technology like even if you go back ten years, I mean the iPhone barely exists and like we're in a much different place than we are now, where everything's now connected. It's kinda like emotional intelligence is a a skill if survival is guaranteed, like if survival is covered, but it's not like if you're in the middle of the woods being hunted by a lion, like emotional intelligence, it's kind of like a second level uh, skill. Like you've solved the basics and now like, all right, let's be nice to each other. just broke the podcast with that comment well i think there's like what you were saying about the uh survival being guaranteed it you know it goes to uh what epstein was talking about in range about like the kind environment and the wicked environment i think just having an awareness of like what's a kind environment and what's a wicked environment and pretty much any environment we're going to be in is is likely going to be wicked what skills do you need to bring to the table when like pretty much there's no playbook. There's no rules. You pretty much have to make it up as you go along. Yeah. And those, to me, those are the environments that I like, like that's where I gravitate towards. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see if we, if we continue to have all this turmoil in the world and we continue to have all this divisiveness, it's going to be interesting to see how, like the trend of emotional intelligence and whether that's more or less important mm-hmm. going forward. Because if you uh, contrast it against like safety, there's been a lot of safety for the last, let's say five to seven years. Technology has been going up. There's been stability around the world. If stability decreases around the world and we continue moving forward and system starts to change and, you know, uh, move, 
is it going to be more or less important to be emotionally intelligent? And it might be a two factor thing where it's more important to be emotionally intelligent, like in the immediate surrounding area and less in the big macro global area. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Two different kind of environments of, yeah, the micro and macro makes sense to me where if things are going local, you, you, you will need high emotional intelligence to be like a core member of the tribe. Um, but macro, it's like, mm, maybe I don't need to. Maybe I don't need to really engage on that global scale. Yeah, it's kind of like if you look at Facebook, we were kind of going for mass friendship. And it seems like mass friendship is kind of fighting back. And it's more like, all right, who are who's the family? Who are the four, five, six people I care about? And, you know, kids program, but <laughs> fuck everybody else. I mean, Steve, how do you think about like safety and stability versus more of those kind of other other skills like emotional intelligence or, or even communication because communication you could argue is is important for safety um but it's not something you immediately think about yeah i'm trying to think of So give me a little more on to how I should answer this question. So safety versus, versus what? I would say safety versus uh, something more aspirational. You know, safety seems to be like a baseline kind of thing yeah. that we all want. But, you know, once you kind of feel safe, you're able to venture out and do, and do other things and pursue other skills that, you know, as long as you're covered on safety – you know, you, you can feel free to pursue. But if, if safety is your number one concern, I'm wondering um, how that changes like your mindset and kind of like where, where you spend your energy. Um, I mean, I feel personally safe at this time, but I'm also worried about the world. Yeah, even just looking at it like selfishly, like I feel in a safe place. Um, however, from a career standpoint, like that's, that's kind of boring, like, because it's, it's so safe, like it's not really challenging, like it's not stimulating to me, but at the same time, there's definitely some roadblocks for me. And I've been trying to figure out what those are. That's not allowing me to go, jump into something, you know, adventurous, like you were mentioning, um, you know, like Mike and I went on a hike yesterday and we were talking about just like, you know, what would it take to open up a restaurant in the, in the Caribbean? Uh, you know, it, it provides a lifestyle that at least for, for the near term, something that we would really love. What are the, like, what are those roadblocks that not aren't allowing us to do it because like i feel like there's more things and that might be you know an extreme example but i think there's a lot of a lot of examples that are very achievable but there's these subconscious you know roadblocks and i hate having to kind of fall back on and like blaming like my upbringing and like because i don't feel like that's that's like in a defensive place instead of being on the offense but i just feel like there's definitely some truth to that where 
uh, I even just think about like growing up, probably learning how to ride a bike or doing anything. It was probably like, Oh, be careful. Watch. Oh, gotta watch this. You know, it was always like that, like uptight timidness, um, upbringing. I feel like that kind of translates to like how you're creating your career path and like how you're developing your life. Uh, and I kind of want to figure out a way to get over, you know, blaming like the upbringing. Cause I don't think that's the full truth, but I just want to like learn how to rewire and I haven't been able to kind of do so yet. Um, so I don't know if that really answers the question, but I feel like I'm in a safe place. So I should be, should be in a mindset of being more adventurous, but I, I'm not, I'm not doing so. No, I mean that. That, that makes sense to, to think about. I, I think yeah, I, that really resonates with me. Just like, you know, safety certainly is, is not like motivating. It's kind of like, all right, you know, I've, I've established this kind of, you know, place where I'm feeling okay, but you want more. Um, and wanting more and, and, and acting on it, right, is, is scary especially with how you're wired. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly wired in that kind of risk aversion um, as well as like not having, I guess not feeling set up for success there in, in terms of like what, um, I don't even know if it's tools, but it's just kind of what, what do you, what's the first step? The restaurant in the Caribbean, you know, sounds amazing. Like, and I, 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 I think it's certainly possible. Um, but what would be the first step? And like, how do you, how do you think of that first step? And, and is, you can't really do a side hustle of a restaurant in the Caribbean unless I'm missing something. Well, so that's, that's why everyone's in a career that they don't want because the on-ramps for a career you don't want are very clear. You go on LinkedIn, you find a job, you, there's six bullet points for what you have to do. You can bullshit your way through it and say, I can do these six things. Then they hire you. Then you get an income. But the on-ramp to start your own restaurant in the Caribbean is where the hell do I start? But you kind of just like figure it out as you go. And the other problem is too that the risk is blatantly obvious with starting a restaurant in the Caribbean, but the risk of staying in your job and being miserable and turning 70 and looking back on your life and saying like, man, I wish I would have done more. It's kind of like a slow pain that you never fully realize. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. No, it's very true. Yeah, I don't know. The thing I'm dealing with, it's like from the safety standpoint is consciously, I don't want to feel safe. Like I, I feel like that produces complacency and like mediocrity. Uh, but subconsciously, it's deeply wired that I want it. So it's that's that's the breakdown of why I'm, you know, doing things that are not necessarily fulfilling me to, you know, the full extent. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I was able to just live consciously, like, I think I'd be living in a, in a different manner. Um, 
so in terms of first step, yeah. I feel like maybe it's it's continuing to kind of break down the the, the subconscious. Go ahead, Mike. It's probably it's probably less trying to break down the subconscious and more trying to realize that there there's risk in everything you do. Not making a decision is making a decision. Uh, Annie Duke talks mm-hmm. about that a lot, and uh, like it's not subconscious; it's like in your DNA to avoid risk. If me and you went out on a uh, hike and we saw a cave and you walked in the cave and you got eaten by a bear, I'm going to have risk aversion towards walking in caves because you walked in and you died. I stayed out and I didn't like, I'm not going to take that risk. So every risk is based on survival. And like in your DNA, it's been trying to avoid risk your entire life, like entire existence of your species. But what, what would you say uh, the people that do, you know, break out and, and go on a path that doesn't have that on ramp, like you were mentioning, like, do you feel like they were, they have like, what are you, what are you saying to that in terms of, do you feel like they have different DNA? Like obviously they don't have different. No, no, no. I feel like they fundamentally understand the risks better than you and I, or can fundamentally reframe them in a way that makes staying in their current job more risky than not like Ryan, for Ryan to go to corporate America and punch numbers in a computer every day mm-hmm. sounds probably like death to him. And he's like, that's risky. Me opening my own restaurant and it failing, that's not risky. Like where I'm finding risk is being bored and miserable the rest of my life. I don't want that. So I'm going to go do this other thing, which looks a lot safer from my framework. Yeah. I think there's also... Uh, so I guess two points. One is the people you surround yourself with definitely dictate kind of how you view the world. So if you're only talking to people who are in your work environment, very hard to like think beyond that work environment. Um, so exposing yourself routinely to people who um, can talk about risk is is important. And also like talking to people who seem to be happy in having taken a risk or many risks is helpful. And I think the second thing is, I think reframing the story for yourself. Like I think an entrepreneur isn't necessarily the, the lone wolf. I think, I think entrepreneurs are social creatures. I think they're, they're always looking to, to talk and connect with people and find resources um, or just guidance on what to do. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be like you staring at a blank piece of paper. I think it's, you know, you have to talk to people who are maybe further along in their entrepreneurial career and really know that failure is guaranteed and just like understanding that failure is going to have to happen. It's really just like a critical step to kind of get to whatever success you're after. So for me saying that, like, I'm going to fail is really scary. Um, But it goes back to that, like that fear again of, not feeling like I'm valuable to other people. So if like I failed, then I feel like I failed other people, not just myself. Cause it's not just like, it's not just me. Um, Cause a lot of people kind of like pin their hopes and dreams to you, whether that's family or friends or the people who you're going into business with. So I think it's like, it's a highly kind of relational for, from my standpoint, it's, it's highly re- relational how you kind of go about it just in the people you're speaking with and just kind of conceptualizing it, not just you as like the single main character, but like who are the other characters who are part of 
your story of, of venturing out and taking a risk and, and facing failure. Yeah, it's a really good point. Like uh, the best example of that is Tim Ferriss. Like Tim Ferriss is probably the least successful person in his entire network, but that's why he's so successful. Like he's surrounded himself with the best of the best in every field. And he's kind of served as a middle ground for all those people and to like tell their stories and show the concepts behind their work. But he would never have been able to do that if he was like the top of the pyramid. And do you feel like the, do you feel like one of the keys is that you need to, you need to fail more? Like maybe are, are we trying to, uh, in a way be perfectionists and like, we're always looking for a win. So we're going to play on a smaller scale because we're afraid of that big failure. Whereas if you, the more, the more and more you fail, that's kind of like where the risk increases. How do you guys think about that? Do you think more failure equals more risk mentality as opposed to like if you're always used to winning, like you're going to play at a smaller level? I, I don't think it's more failure. I think it's just doing more and whether it's success or failure, like you learn from doing. I think it's uh, less thinking, more doing, try anything, throw shit against the wall, see what sticks and keep moving forward. Yeah, I guess what I, I guess the only thing I'm saying is like is the is the willingness to be okay with failure going to allow you to do more as opposed to just saying do more because there's obviously something kind of blocking that. Yeah, I mean you have to be willing to fail. I think that it's <laughs> I think what um <clears throat> Tim Ferriss again. So Tim Ferriss has this exercise called fear setting instead of goal setting. So you basically just kind of like write down your fear and you, you kind of workshop it. You're like, okay, if I were to fail, you know, how long would it take to rebound? You know, is this like, and he kind of has you like, you write it on a scale. Like, is this like catastrophic failure or it's going to like put you back? Or like, how long would it get, you know, would it take to get back to zero? You know, so if you start at zero and then you go, you know, dip into like the negative 50, would it take six months to like climb back to zero or would it take six years? Um, so I think the fear setting exercise helps you at least like play it out in your mind. Um, but I think also just talking through, through with other people because um, the other fear is like doing nothing. And I think that's a really good point, Mike, of like doing nothing, not making a decision is a decision. And that really could just keep you at zero. And if another fear is like staying at zero, you're, you know, th there's no way to, to, there's nowhere to go there. So I think it's like naming the fear of the thing you want to do or the many things you want to do and just kind of workshop it and just play it out in your mind. I think that helps. That's helped me. Uh, Carrie and I just did it on an apartment that is a lot more expensive than what we're currently living in, but we did it and we're just like, screw it. We're just going to go for the apartment. It's more money, but we think ultimately it's going to give us a, a, a better kind of standard of living. Um, because it's with friends, it's closer to friends. And even if like, say I, I lost my job or it didn't work out with the friends, we, we would just try to um, kind of say what that fear is and like, is it something that we can bounce back from? Yeah, Nassim Talib talks about this a lot where uh, the only risk you got to avoid is the risk of ruin. And 
you know, like as a person, like you can't die because then the game's over. As a financial aspect, you can't go bankrupt because then it's kind of over. You know, you can bounce back from bankruptcy a little bit, but it's kind of like as long as you can avoid the risk of ruin and that ultimate downside, everything else is in play. So, like, an expensive apartment for one year is never going to ruin you. (laughs) But, again, that that goes to reassessing the risk in the current situation. Because I think we add – I think we overthink risk that are immediately in front of us and not enough the risk of a 10- to 20-year period. Yeah. Agree, yeah. And our minds are – are geared towards like, focusing on the losses than the gains. I mean, that's just wired in us. We, we focus on the, the fear of loss. Um, most people, it's like if, they, if, you, if you lost $20 from your bank account versus gained $20, you focus more on the loss of 20 Yeah, that's uh, Kahneman. You have, to, you have to win 60 for every $20 loss. It's a three-to-one yeah. ratio. To get the same uh, firing in the brain. But that's, again, back to the cave. That's the survival mechanism because you got to avoid that risk of ruin. You got to avoid the downside. So, Steve. So, uh, so you know, after having asked this question and, like, you know, processing a bit, like what, what's like a first next step you could take to, again, if, it, if, if you want to go to the root of like the subconscious and understanding it, you know, that's, that's definitely a helpful first step, but you definitely could, you could stay there for a long time, like trying to understand it. Um, but what's like a first mm-hmm. step that, that you'd like to take? Yeah, because I was actually like the question I was about to ask before that is I was thinking about do you do you um, do you pick where you like I've been thinking a bit about this a lot of like do I pick where I want to live and then you know kind of build a career path around that or the reverse where you kind of pick a career and then wherever that lands you. Uh, that's kind of where you live. I've been trying to think about like what's more important because uh, like there's a potential transition period for me in over the next six to 12 months um, just from like if I really want to be in New York long term, uh, you know, you kind of have two options really where you're kind of moving more into the city or you're kind of going out onto Long Island and neither option really seems too appealing to me. Uh, so I, and I'd be curious to hear, cause I've been thinking about this. So I would like your guys' opinion on it. Like if you had to choose, uh, you loved where you were the living situation, like you loved everything about your living situation and your job wasn't that good or the reverse, like, which would you choose? Cause this would be helpful for me to like, kind of think through what I'm going to be doing over the next six to 12 months. Like, do you think living your living scenario is more important or your career is more important if you had to choose one? I think it depends on directionally where you're trying to go. Like for me, I like playing games at the highest level 
So to do that, you have to kind of put aside your current living situation and go where the game is. If you were more interested in your lifestyle outside of work, then you would do the reverse and you would try to find the best place to live, the best situation, and then kind of take what job you could get and iterate it. So like the first job may not be great, but the second job will be better. But at least the underlying floor of your lifestyle is what you want it to be. Yeah. So it depends on directionally where you're going. Are you going for the maximum amount of success? Are you going for the maximum amount of happiness? Um, it's kind of weighing those against each other and whichever one you decide, that's kind of the direction you got to take it. Yeah. First time hearing that question, but like, what do you naturally gravitate towards more? Do you feel like would be more important from like a value standpoint for you? Hmm. I mean, I've grappled with this one a lot. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think it is, it goes back to values, you know? So I think my, my top values are, you know, connection. So I feel connected in both my, like where I live and also where I work. So like that feeling of connection is really important to me. Um, and I think the other is uh, like kind of having meaning and fulfillment. So I feel like I'm getting both of those from, from work and where I live, but I'm certainly getting it more from where I live. So that that's where I would, I would lean towards, but it's for me, it's, it, this is like one of those things like I can't make it, it's very hard for me to tease it out and make it binary. Um, because I feel like I've fought for both yeah. to be true. Yeah. But what, so just to cut you off, what, what happens if you weight them, what would the percentage weight be yeah. rather than going 50, 50 or a hundred zero? how would you percentage weight them? Because it's not black or white. It's not binary. It's a, it's a blended, you know, kind of. So career versus where you live. Um, So like eight um, hours of the day would, which we'll call your career. And then the outside lifestyle, which is probably eight hours a day too, assuming you sleep eight hours a day. How do you contrast those against each other as a percentage? I think I think it's probably 60% on career and 40% on where you live. Um, main argument is that you you bring work home no matter where you work. You pretty much bring it home. And if your work situation sucks, like no matter where you live, you could be living in paradise. Your job sucks, like doesn't doesn't matter. <laughs> it's it's gonna stay with you and stress you out yeah. um whereas bringing home to work i found that that doesn't that doesn't translate the same yeah it's a good discussion and, and i didn't i didn't mean to answer your question with a question but uh the reason why i brought that up was like you, you're asking me mm-hmm. like kind of what's first steps um like options that I kind of have currently uh, is, you know, either kind of staying put in, in Queens and kind of continuing my career path of where I'm at. Uh, another option is like, there's a company in, in, te- in Texas that is 
it's a supplement company, but they're it's in health and nutrition. Like their culture just seems to align way more with mm-hmm. how I want to live my life. So from a career standpoint, it seems way more fulfilling to take that option uh, than kind of where I am now. However, it's, you know, you're going completely solo. Uh, so from a community standpoint, you're kind of like starting fresh. You don't have any, anyone to really fall back on. Uh, and then there with this quarantine, like I, it's kind of made me kind of want to be around family more. And I would like to be around, you know, my parents, uh, like I would like to be able to see them more than a couple of times a year. So from like that standpoint, you know, Florida seems a little bit appealing for, but I don't know how much I would really enjoy a career there. Cause I could probably go down there and work for, you know, where my, my dad and brother works. And, and then I kind of get the, the lifestyle piece that I feel like I would like more. I would like to be around the beach more playing mm-hmm. tennis, like being outdoors as much as possible. So I'm trying to, I guess a good exercise is what Mike talked about is kind of maybe a percentage thing and think about it through that lens uh, it doesn't have to be black or white, maybe trying to see which one outweighs. Because uh, those are kind of like the three, obviously you can create more options, but those are kind of the three that are on top of mind that all have, well, really the first one, not necessarily, but like the other two options um, do have some appeals to it. So I'm going to probably have to maybe you know, think about it from a, from a percentage standpoint, yeah. maybe, maybe and I think decide that scenario way. planning, you know, if any, if any decision you make doesn't work out, like, you know, what's, what's the, what's the pivot point. And in most, I think in most situations, you know, it's like, whether it's coming back to New York or it's going somewhere else, like you, as long as you have kind of that, uh, that container, <laughs> that you're taking with you, you know, you, you're building something strong, you have a foundation, you, you can take that anywhere. Um, and then just kind of like naming some of your fears yeah. um, with, with either scenario. But I would say that the fears are probably similar in nature. Um, Florida may be less so because you do have like kind of a, a built-in community with family. But uh, that culture piece of yeah. what you're saying about Texas, it sounds appealing. And again, even if it's a few years, right? You're not necessarily it saying does, yeah. commit to staying there for 10 years. But it's still a big decision. Right. I, I actually want I want your opinion on this as well. Uh, so at, at my job, um, I'm kind of the only one that does what I do. And there's like, I, I, basically, I feel like I've built a lot of leverage in this position. Um, that if, you know, if I were to up and leave right now, like it would, uh, it would definitely hurt the company in a negative way. And I feel like, so I feel like I've built some leverage there. Um, and I feel like that Mm -hmm. it definitely justifies a pay increase. So kind of going like, what's your thoughts on that in terms of like going in, not, not necessarily like doing an ultimatum or anything like that, but like putting some pressure on. Do you feel like it's smart to create another option before doing so? Uh, or do you feel like, uh, you know, if you feel like the leverage is there, 
just kind of manning up and doing it right away. That's something I've also been dealing with because the work-life balance for me right now is not ideal. And I'm okay with that if I was, if I felt like I was kind of being compensated in the right way for it. So I, I don't know if, if, if I should be making sure I have another option or kind of banking on the leverage that I think I have and just using that and going in right away. If you're in my position, how do you Honestly, think you the would worst approach thing it? That your current company says to you is no, and you're also signaling to them that you like you value yourself. Yeah. And I think that commands respect. And if it doesn't, then like it's a very quick way of of assessing kind of like how they've how they value you. Um, so for me, it's it's like yeah, I'd, I'd I'd give it a shot and definitely watch some like Ramit Sethi. Um, videos on this because i think he, he talks about negotiation really well um in, in terms of yeah a briefcase tech so i would i would i would go for it if you're feeling that way you probably felt that way for quite some time it's not just like you're you're thinking about this today so you've already thought about this for months you know so like yeah. again a non-decision is a decision um and i would definitely yeah, draft it, you know, think about it, how you want to position it. But like, I would just start doing a, a brain dump on paper of like all the reasons why you deserve a raise. And then just kind of like distill it down to like your, your key ask. And I think that they may give you a like, not now, but maybe in six months. But like, if you didn't ask today, then like, you'd be delaying it. Yeah, they mm-hmm. may give you that answer six exactly. months from now. We'll do it in six months. So then it winds up being a year. Yes. All right. Yeah, that's helpful. Thanks. Mike, you got a last word? Um, Put you on the spot. Well, the back the backside of uh, asking for a raise is, is the money enough to keep you in a position that you don't want? And how long does that uh, last for? So like maybe that's a short term one year thing. Yeah. That's but you still have a problem with a job that you don't like. And then the second piece of that is community. I know you have your family in Florida, but that for this period of your life, it's not really like the growth community that you're looking for. So I would try to get to Texas as quick as possible. Yeah. All right, last, last word. 15 seconds. Who wants it? <laughs> I'll take it. Helen Keller, uh, safety doesn't exist in nature. It's an illusion. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. I like it. Yeah, last word for me. I think I'm in a in a time period to be more adventurous, but to take Brett's point and be a little more compassionate around it and not too judgmental of myself, kind of just take the adventures, take the risks. And uh, regardless of the outcome, you know, there's always going to be some positives. I think I reminded myself that I need to journal more. I think seeing my thoughts on paper is going to help me understand what's going on and lean into the discomfort of taking risk.
Love it. All right, gentlemen. Steve, Steve, you published that podcast, huh? Yeah, I'll do it. Oh, as soon as it uploads, I got you. Later, guys. All right.